And today we find ourselves in week two of our uh, new series that we're calling Bible Stories, just studying through the greatest Bible stories that we find recorded from Genesis to Revelation. By the way, let me say this. I hope you liked that last song, because according to the book of Revelation, that song is actually called Revelation Song. That's the title of it. That is the song, according to Scripture, uh, that the angels and the multitudes, that's us, will sing one day around the throne of God. It's the only song recorded in the book of Revelation that we will sing one day in eternity. So if you don't like it, you need to change your heart because you're going to get really tired of that one. That's that's going to be there according to the Bible. But today uh, we start talking about Joseph. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. Take the uh, take the sermon notes that we gave you, a little sheet of paper about this size, uh, and take the pen. And as we get ready to get into our Bible study this morning, uh, I want you just to write an 87 somewhere on your, your sermon notes, just up in the right corner or left num- right corner, uh, right corner or left corner. I just want you to write the... Uh, the number 87. And you say, Christian, what's, what's important about the, uh, the number 87? And if you didn't get some sermon notes, Becky's going down the aisle and just raise your hand. She'll give them to you. Uh, write that number 87 down. You say, what's important about the number 87? Uh, well, it's 87 days from today, counting today, uh, until the first NFL game of the 2012 season. Um, and you say, what spiritual significance does that hold? The answer is none, but I just thought you should know because it's going to lead into a little bit of what I'm going to talk about this week. You know, I I love football season, love college football season, love pro football season. Uh, And during football season, you will find me on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, if I can be, sitting in my recliner with a a big cup full of ice with a six-pack of of Diet Coke beside me. Diet Coke, just in case you weren't listening. Um, And I will just sit in a chair all day long. And watch football. Early in our marriage, Danielle came downstairs on one of those days that uh, I was in the recliner. Uh, we hadn't been married very long, and I, you know, I was where I was during football season. And she came downstairs. She said, Christian, you love football more than you love me, don't you? And, and I said, what? Because when you don't know how to answer a question, that's how you answer it. I said, what? What? Uh, she said, you love football more than me, don't you? And I looked at her, and I said, college or pro? Um, <laughs> ha, I'm just kidding. By the way, that's the wrong answer to give if... Uh, if you're ever asked that question, the answer is no, I don't. Um, but let's talk about it after the game, and we will uh, and we'll figure that out. Here, here's why I say that. Here's uh, I, I just heard this for the first time last week. Um, every year, the NFL does what they call a, a rookie symposium before the season starts. You say, what is that? They get all the guys who are going to be rookies in the NFL for the first year, and they get them get together for two or three days, and they just kind of say, hey, this is what the life is like in the NFL. Here's some things you need to be aware of. Here's some people who can help you handle your money. Here's some things you should never do. And for the first year ever, they're doing that this year in Canton, Ohio, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame for two or three days. Uh, And the reason is this. They said they started looking the last two or three years at the guys who are coming into the NFL, and they're realizing that they know nothing about the history of the NFL. They know nothing about the greatest players that ever played the game. They know nothing about the people who laid the foundation. They think they're the first to arrive. They only care about themselves. They only know about the last ten years. So he says it's important for these guys, if they're going to understand the NFL, to understand the history of the NFL. So he said, we want to show them the Hall of Fame. In the Bible, we have what we call the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. That's where we'll start today, the Faith Hall of Fame. And our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you forgot your Bible today, if you don't have a Bible, um, just wave at our ushers. They'll hand you one. If you forgot yours, you can use this today. 
throw it on the table when you leave. Um, if you don't have a Bible, this is yours to keep. You can have it. We've given away in the nine months we've been a church more than 300 Bibles just like this on Sunday morning because every Sunday we're going to open God's Word. We're going to read God's Word. We're going to study it. We're going to write in it. We're going to mark it up. When we come to church, uh, the only thing that's important on a Sunday morning is the worship of God and the Word of God. So we're going to open the Bible and teach it and learn from it. Uh, we want you to have a Bible if, uh, if you don't have one. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we're introduced to literally the greatest men of the faith from the Old Testament. But we live in a church world today that, uh, that is a lot like these NFL rookies. We live in a church world where people know a lot about Jesus, and a little bit about the disciples. They might have understood a little bit about the Apostle Paul. But I've met Christians that have been in church a lot of their life, and they've never read any of the Old Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 11, when the foundation of faith is laid for the author of Hebrews, writing to this Hebrew congregation, he says, you have to remember the people who laid the foundation of our faith. And he begins to talk to us about the heroes of the past that really teach us what it is to live the Christian life. And in Hebrews 11:22, we're introduced to a man named Joseph. Now, if we were to read the whole chapter of Hebrews 11, and I challenge you to do that this week, you're going to read all kinds of names in there. And the truth is, as a Christian, you want to not only know these names, you want to know these people, you want to know their stories, you want to know how their stories can impact your life. That's why we're doing this series to find out how the greatest stories in the Bible applied to our life can help us understand Jesus. And here's what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 22. We're only going to read one verse today. We're only going to study one person before we flip over to the Old Testament and start reading in large chunks God's Word. Uh, and in Hebrews 11:22, it says this, By faith, Joseph... Circle his name, underline his name, highlight his name. If you don't have a Bible, his name's written on your sermon notes, circle it on there. That's who we're talking about today. Not Jesus' father, but Joseph of the Old Testament. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, I want to stop right there. I want you to imagine yourself walking through, not the NFL Hall of Fame, but the Faith Hall of Fame. And you can picture the, the bust of these men, right, as they've got their head in bronze and they've got a little plaque about them. We, we come up to a podium that has a head on it, and we're told that his name is Joseph. And there's a little plaque behind his head who says, here's what his faith did. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. And he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And you look at that. And you have either one of two reactions. That's cool. I don't understand. Or, man, his life really has the ability to impact my life. Because we believe, according to Hebrews chapter 11, the lives of these people, their stories are supposed to impact our life. We want to study the story of Joseph today. And I want to give the theme verse of this series. I don't think it's on your sermon notes. It'll be on the screen behind me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I won't ask you to turn there because we were there last week. Uh, but I want to read it. Verses 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is teaching through the Old Testament to this New Testament church, the church at Corinth. And Paul says, here is why the Old Testament is important. Here is why these Bible stories are important. Paul says this, these things, these things is the whole Old Testament in the context of 1 Corinthians 10. All these things happened to them as examples. And they were written down as warnings for us. All these old Bible stories were written for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. That means Jesus has been revealed to us. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul said, listen, the whole purpose that the Old Testament was written down was to help those of you who are Christians today make sure your faith stays strong. That's why we have the Old Testament. 
So we want to dig today into the Old Testament and we want to learn some life lessons from this man we know as Joseph. Uh, If you're not familiar with Joseph at all, perhaps you're familiar with the musical Joseph and the Technicolor coat. That's Joseph. That's the guy we're going to talk about today who had one of the uh, one of the most difficult lives of anyone in the Bible, but who's who was used of God greatly in the Bible. Today, I want to introduce you to Joseph. We're going to learn four things about his life, how that applies to us, what we need to learn to make sure we're staying strong in our faith. And we're going to look at a lot of Bible text today in the book of Genesis. So I want you to flip on over to Genesis 37. That's where Joseph's story begins. That's where our story is going to begin today. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. So just go to the cover and start opening past the table of contents and the explanation of the of the translation and who gave you the Bible on what date. You'll find Genesis 1. Flip on over to the top of the page real big. It says Genesis chapter 37. And what's really interesting is I started, is I started studying the life of Joseph. And, and Joseph is kind of like Daniel. In the Bible, Joseph and Daniel are both uh, Bible uh, characters who there's not a whole lot of wrong that they did in life. As a matter of fact, if you look at Daniel's life, there, there was never a sin recorded that Daniel committed in Scripture. Now, we know, according to the Bible, that all have sinned, so Daniel sinned. But the authors of Scripture presented Daniel in the best light. Joseph is another one of those guys who's presented almost in the best light, except for his early years. And, man, I think there's a lot we can learn from Joseph's early years in Christianity in 2012. And this isn't the whole part of my message, but this is a really important part of today's message. In Joseph's early life, the first thing we learn about Joseph in Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11, is early in his life, Joseph lacked tact. It's a word I played around with all week to figure out which word I wanted to put in the blank here. But what we find out is that early in his life, Joseph lacked tact. He didn't know how to gently speak to people. He didn't know how to gently lead people. And Joseph was someone who, man, he had a lot of dreams, he had a lot of vision, he had a lot of drive, but he turned off a lot of people because he didn't know how to interact with people well. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11, we meet Joseph, uh, and here's the the first story we hear about his life. It said Jacob, that was his dad, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Jacob's dad was Isaac. Isaac's dad was Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A pretty big family in the Old Testament. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and all your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were all bowing down to me. Now, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, listen, the first time we're introduced to Joseph, we see a talented young man 
see a kid with big dreams who has zero tact in relaying what's in his heart to other people. It actually, as I read through the text, I was surprised that Joseph was 17 because Joseph sounds more like a 10-year-old in this text, bragging about the life that he's going to have. You say, why do you say 10-year-olds? Because this week on Monday in the, in the carpool to football camp, I had four 10-year-olds in my car between my house uh, and Lee Summit West High School for football camp. And in that, I don't know, maybe a 10-minute ride, uh, all they did was talk about the whole time how much better than they, they were than everyone else in the car, uh, and every one of us, you know, well, I'm the tallest. Well, I can throw the farce. Well, I'm the best looking. Well, I have a six pack. Well, I play baseball. Well, I play competitive baseball. And I wanted to say, listen, I'm better than all of you guys. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was like turning into that. And I, you know, I finally, we, we got out of the car and, and I went to Christian and I said, Christian, you have to have humility when you speak, son. And he said, what's that? And I thought, exactly. You know, here, here is the problem in itself. I mean, there was just no tact in how they were relaying this information. And you know, the kid who said he was the tallest, he was the tallest. And the kid who said he could throw the ball the furthest probably could throw the ball the furthest. And the kid who said he was the fastest probably was that. But it was like a competition of I'm better than you the entire time. And I thought, man, thank God I'm not 10 anymore. When Joseph spoke to his brothers, he spoke without any tact. And I want to be honest with you today. I believe one of the reasons the world that doesn't go to church, the unchurched world, the non-Christian world, looks at the church and is so intolerant, is sometimes so hateful to church, is because the church has begun to lack tact in the way they communicate to the outside world. There's very little love. There's very little grace. There's a whole lot of, I'm really good, you're really bad. And we have separated ourselves into, you know, I am super holy and you aren't. And one of the things that happens when a Christian gets really passionate about their life, when a guy like Joseph gets really passionate about what God's revealing in him, they begin to lose tact and they become a major turnoff to everyone around them. My mom and dad are here this morning. Uh, They drove down for Chicago. I'm glad that they're here. I didn't know they were going to be here when I was putting together this message. Um, But I'm going to ask my mom, don't shake your head too hard yes when I start talking about this, because she will agree with me. When God first called me to ministry and really got a hold of my life in my early 20s, I lacked tact, Um, and I really turned my sisters, who were both great godly ladies, turned them off, I mean big time, to the point where they would taunt me and call me preacher boy because I had this air about me that was just so annoying that no one wanted to be around me because God was moving in my life. And I, I didn't say it like this, but but when I visited them, I carried this air. When I would walk upstairs for breakfast, I wouldn't say exactly this, but it, it would be something like, Man, God just really spoke to me in my quiet time this morning. Have you guys read your Bible yet? And they would look at me like, you're an idiot. Um, you know, or, or I, I would carry this air of, I'm going downstairs now to pray on my knees out loud in my prayer journal, so don't bother me. And I, I was just an annoying jerk. Um, and I was passionate. And I loved God, and I loved my ministry. And every time I saw anyone in my family, I'd say, I'm praying for you. And it was kind of like they were like, listen, I don't care if you're praying for it. Like, you're my brother, not my pastor. Just be normal. You're weird. You know, that's the way. For, am I right, Mom? I mean, for, for a couple years, that's, that's kind of how I was. And she's smiling at me like, yeah, you know, bless your heart. You know, that, bless your heart means you're so stupid. That's just the Christian way to say it. Bless your, you know, if someone says, bless your heart, they're really saying, you're so stupid. Um, But I I lacked tact, and what I did is I drove people further from the impact that I was trying to have than I really wanted to. 
And Joseph, early in his life, I mean, Joseph's story is one of the most miraculous in all the Bible, but Joseph turned his family off simply because he lacked tact. He lacked the ability to communicate with humility and, and with wisdom. It's the exact opposite of Daniel. As a matter of fact, when we read the book of Daniel, we find out that Daniel and his friends, along with all the other wise men in Babylon, and we'll work our way to Daniel by the end of the summer, but uh, there was a sentence passed. The, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had had a dream, and he said, if the wise men can't tell me my dream, I'm going to kill them all. And after three or four failed, he just said, okay, kill them all. So the executioner showed up at Daniel's door and knocked on Daniel's door because Daniel was one of the wise men. Uh, and the wise men, the guy said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm here to kill you. And here's how Daniel responded um, in Daniel 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, so the decree was issued to put all the wise men to death. And the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Listen, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. Really messing you up at the soundboard. This one? Here we go. Daniel didn't say, if you kill the wise men, you're all going to hell. Daniel didn't say, uh, you know, that uh, I'm going to pray uh, that God would judge you. Daniel, Daniel spoke with wisdom with that. Daniel said, well, hang on just a minute. Hang on. Now, what's going on if we read the narrative? Daniel said, what happened? The guy told him what happened. And Daniel said, listen, I don't know that if I can do anything about this, but here's what I'm going to do. If you give me just like a few hours, let me pray. Let me see if God has anything to say, and maybe I can help you. You see, Daniel was the exact opposite of Joseph, and Daniel was elevated quickly to a position of prominence simply because he had tact. You know, there's a lot of people in your life and my life that we're trying to reach, our neighbors, our friends, our family member, and some of them simply are holding you at an arm's length just because you don't have tact, because they feel like you're against them. They feel like you're judging them. They feel like you're saying, I'm really spiritual and you're not. They feel like you're saying, my church is really cool and yours isn't. They, f- they feel like that you need to have a little more humility and a little more tact. One of the first things we learned from the life of Joseph is that early in his life he didn't have tact and it didn't bode well for him. You know, when you, when you read the life of Jesus, man, Jesus had so much sensitivity to the people that he was dealing with. Jesus never got into a debate with non-religious people. Religious people, he would debate them when they were wrong, but people who were outside the church, people who were living a life of sin, people who didn't have it figured out spiritually, he was so kind to them. Um, when Zacchaeus came to Jesus, one of the greatest stories, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, if you've grown up in the church, you know, climbed up in a sycamore tree. Yeah, you've heard that song if you've grown up in church. We won't get to that story this summer, um, but, but, uh, but we'll get there one day. Um, when, when Jesus met Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was a crook, like an Enron-level executive crook. Zacchaeus was ripping off the whole world for his own personal usage. When Jesus met him, Jesus didn't say to him, I want, you know, I want to see your books. I want to make sure you're above board. You know what Jesus said? I'd like to be your friend. I just want to be your friend. I, you know, I know you're probably doing some things wrong, and I know there's some, probably some people who don't like you, and I know that I could probably list some ways that you could be better. But how about we just be friends and see how that works out? You see, if our church and the people in our church will befriend our community instead of judging our community, 
we'll befriend the unchurched people in our life instead of judging the unchurched people in our life. We'll just say, hey, let's just be friends. If we'll have wisdom, if we'll have tact, they won't, like Joseph, just be repelled from us and never want to be around us. Um, It's really interesting, man. When we fail to have tact, did did you see this week that uh, the sun this week, Venus passed in front of the sun? Did you all hear about this, Venus passing in front of the sun? Did you all read that you're never supposed to look at the sun with the naked eye because it, it would burn you out? How many of you tried to look at the sun anyway? Okay, yeah, I did too, and I've been seeing spots. So ho- hopefully that's, uh, it's okay. Um, but, you know, this week Venus passed in front of the sun. And you could see it because it got in the way. A couple weeks ago there was a, a full solar eclipse. Maybe you saw the full solar eclipse. And it hit me this week as I was thinking about what was going on with the sun. I, here's the thought that hit me. You know what? When Christians fail to use tact, we get in the way of the sun, the S-O-N, and we cover up who Jesus is. And like when we fail to use tact, even when we're passionate, even when we're correct, when we fail to use tact in speaking with people, it's like we step right in front of Jesus and we get in his way of trying to work in people's life. So as a Christian, Joseph's life teaches us we have to have tact in, in, in how we deal with people. Uh, secondly, Joseph's life teaches us, and we're, we're going to eat up some scripture now. But Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust people. I mean, every person alive needs to understand this fact. As much as I hate to say it, you have to embrace this fact because this is going to prove true in your life. Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust people. And I'm going to even break these people down into groups in just a second. We're going to stay in Genesis 37. We're going to read a little bit of Scripture this morning. I'm going to give you three instances where people in Joseph's life let him down, let him down horribly. The first was in Genesis chapter 37, verse 12. We pick up the narrative he told his brother. And, and by the way, how many of you have an older brother or sister? Raise your hand. Can you imagine going to your older brother and sister and saying, hey, God gave me a dream that you're going to serve me one day? How well do you think that would go over in your household? Um, you can imagine. Joseph, he stirred the pot a little bit. Uh, and in Genesis 37, 12, it said, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. If you have your Bible open, I need you to underline or circle that word Shechem or highlight it. A huge point coming at the end of the message about Shechem. Verse 13, and Israel, that was Jacob's other name, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent uh, him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields, and he asked him, uh, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Uh, They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue them from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this because uh, Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Verse 25. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There wasn't any water in it. And then they sat down to eat their meal. I mean, they, they were so callous, they threw him in a hole. And then they went and had lunch. Uh, they sat down to eat their meal, and they looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what are we going to gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, our own flesh and blood. So all the brothers agreed. So Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave to a people group that lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where he was. When Joseph couldn't trust people, he had to trust God. Flip over to Genesis chapter 39. So instance number one, where people let Joseph down, where people treated Joseph badly. Instance number two, where people let Joseph down. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 20. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. How? He was sold as a slave. We just read that. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, so this guy was like on the president's cabinet, the captain of the, of the guard, he ran his military, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So now he'd been sold twice. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't even concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built, unlike the Joseph on the video that we just saw. Um, Joseph was well-built, and he was handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he'd left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us has come to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph's brothers let him down big time. But he puts his trust in God. And God, once again, puts him in a prominent place. And then we see a second time. Joseph is taken advantage of. People let him down. People lie about him. People treat him poorly. And then we see a third time. Flip over to Genesis chapter 40. We see a third time when, when Joseph couldn't trust people. He had to trust God. And I'm going to put a name on these to hopefully bring this a little closer to home for some of you. Genesis chapter 40. We'll read verses 1 through 23. Now sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king uh, of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream on the same night. Each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected 
So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there wasn't anyone to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and I put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you'll, be, you'll put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I haven't done anything to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Mm, yum. Verse 20. Uh, now the third day, Pharaoh was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he could put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I want you to underline the words, he forgot him. Now, I want to go over point number two in our outline today. And I want to put the words in there that fit correctly according to the story of Joseph. And and if if needed, you can write all three words on your sermon outline or you can write the word that most uh, applies to you. According to what we just read in Genesis 37, 12 through 28, Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust his family. And some of you are in here today and your relationship with your family is strained. And the truth is, you don't know when it will get better or if it will get better. And and here's the truth you need to hear today from the life of Joseph. If it's left up to family to figure it out, it may never get figured out. But when you can't trust your family, you can trust God. Joseph couldn't trust his family, but he could trust God. According to Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 20, listen, Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust his boss. At work. Some of you are in situations right now in your job, in your work, you're not treated well. You can't trust your manager. You can't trust your boss. Trust has been violated. You have been hurt. You have been taken advantage of. You've done nothing wrong, yet you, you've been thrown in the prison of your work. And you say, I can't ever trust people again. You're right, but you can trust God. See, you could fill in that blank. Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust his boss. Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust his co-workers. Joseph trusted God when he couldn't trust his employees. You see, Joseph's family let him down. He had no one but God to trust because he had no family. And then the people that Joseph worked for and he did a good job for let him down. And Joseph couldn't go to work and be happy anymore because those people let him down. But he still had God but then maybe worse, worse to the worst, according to Genesis chapter 40, Joseph then had to learn to trust God when he couldn't trust his friends. 
because he had these friends who were in, who were in prison with him. And they, they became friends and they survived by being close to each other and caring about each other and, and knowing what was going on. And Joseph comforted his friends in the midst of these horrible dreams they had. And he just told his friend, hey, listen, now that I've been a comfort to you, when you get out of here, remember me. And the friend went on and the friend had more important things to do in life than to take care of Joseph. Some of you have had friends let you down. And you're saying, I don't want any more friends. You know, I've had people tell me, I'll never have another friend again. Listen, you can't always trust your friends, but you can't trust God. You can't always trust your boss, but you can't trust God. You can't always trust your family to do the right thing, but you can always trust God. You see, Joseph's story is a story that when everything goes wrong, when people let you down, and people will let you down, God is still right there and can put his hand on your life to prosper you spiritually even in the midst of those things. Every time these things happen, Joseph's brothers let him down, Joseph's boss let him down, Joseph's friends let him down. Uh, We see two things that Joseph saw, and these aren't on your sermon notes, but you can write them down because they're two pretty good things. Every time Joseph was done wrong by people, one, he continued to serve God. He said, listen, I'm going to be faithful to God. I realize that my family is out in la-la land, but... I've got to serve God because at the end of my life, I'm accountable to God, not my family. And I just got to trust that God will fix the family thing. That's what Joseph did, and it got fixed. When Joseph's friends uh, or when when, uh, Joseph's boss let him down, what did he do? He went into the prison and said he served God in the prison by serving his friends, by being faithful to his friends. So you know what? You know, that's why the Bible says when you work, you need to work as you're working for God, not for men. Why? Because men are very rarely worth it. Uh, and ladies, don't say amen. I'm not talking about like the male gender. Uh, I'm just saying humans. You can't give your heart over to humans because they can't be trusted with it. But God can. So when I go to work, you know, whether I'm working at my desk or whether I'm working in the prison, I'm going to work for God. And I'm, I'm just going to trust God to figure it out. So Joseph continued to serve God. And then secondly, he continued to believe that God would figure it out somehow, some way. Which led to the removal. And I want you to write this phrase down. Because I got this phrase from Pastor Rick Warren, who's written a lot of great books for ministers and in the church world. But he talks about a phrase that he calls the worship of worry. And he said, most people worship what they worry about. Because the true definition of worship is fixing your mind on something and thinking about it night and day. And he said, what we have done in life is he said, we have begun to worship worry the things that bother us, the things that we're afraid about. The th- you know, we, just, we think about those day and night. And instead of fixing our thoughts on God, we fix our thoughts on worry, and we worship worry rather than God. Joseph never worshipped worry because his thoughts were always fixed on God. And he had our, our third point in our Bible study today. Joseph had what I would call a long view of the past and the future. You say, what exactly do, do you mean by that, Christian, uh, he, that he had a long view of of the past and the future. We'll turn over to Genesis chapter 50 if you still have your Bible on your lap. It's the last chapter in the book of Genesis. And it's the last things we, we find out about Joseph's life. We find out that Joseph's thoughts spiritually, both towards his past and towards his future, he had a long-term look at both things that had happened in the past and things that would one day happen in the future. And he was able to always survive the here and now of the terrible I mean, his brothers sold him as a slave. Think about that. His brothers sold him as a slave. His boss put him in prison because his wife was a liar. 
And then his friends left him in prison because they forgot. I mean, if anyone had the opportunity to really be miserable in life, it was Joseph. But he had this long view of history, and he had a long view of the future. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read verses 15 through 26. These are the last kind of verses of, uh, of Joseph's life. Um, and, man, I've skipped a big part of the story. But to, to make a long story short, Joseph, while down in Egypt, really we need several messages on Joseph. Uh, down in Egypt, eventually he got let out of prison. Um, what had happened is Pharaoh had a dream one night, a horrible dream that spooked him. Uh, and he told everyone in his kingdom, I've had this horrible dream. I don't know what it means. And his cupbearer who was serving him that day said, Ah, oh, I forgot I have a friend in prison who interprets dreams. I was supposed to tell you about him, but I forgot. He's going to be really mad. So he went out to Joseph and said, Hey, Pharaoh's had a dream. Will you tell him? Joseph said, I'll try. He went up and uh, the king said, Here's what I've dreamed about. What's going to happen? And Joseph said, Ooh, good news and bad news. Um, he said, God's going to give Egypt the seven most prosperous years they've ever had, ever in the history of the nation. But he said they're going to be followed by seven horrible years. So here's what I'd advise. During the good years, save all you can. That'll get us through the seven bad years, and we'll be okay. And the king said, great idea. You're in charge. So he put Joseph in charge of this whole, basically, the finances of Egypt. And for seven years, Joseph made the people save like half of everything that came in. And then when the drought came, which was all over the Middle East, the people would come to Egypt and buy grain. Well, Joseph's family, living just a few hundred miles up the coast from Egypt, Ran out of money, ran out of food, uh, and old Jacob said, hey, I heard there's a guy selling food in Egypt. Go down and buy some. So Joseph's working one day. He's selling food, and there's his brothers in front of him wanting to buy food. They didn't recognize him. He was dressed like an Egyptian, had, I'm sure, the headdress on that we see in all the you know, Egyptian tombs and everything. Uh, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, and they, they have this after several visits, this tearful reunion where they admit what they did wrong, they apologize to Joseph. Joseph said, hey, that's okay. You know, it's all worked out all right. Get dad, bring him down. There's still a bunch of years of the family left. You won't survive in Canaan. Get down here. The family reunites, and then dad dies. And the brothers think, oh, no, we're in trouble. Now that dad is dead, Joseph's going to kill us all, because that's what they would do. So that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 50. And I just made a very long story as short as I could. It says in uh, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They're such liars. I mean, they're just making this stuff up on the fly. Here's what dad said. He wrote it down somewhere, but we lost it. Um, That's kind of how this goes. Um, This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their messenger came to Joseph, Joseph wept. And his brothers came, and they threw themselves down before him, and they said, We're your slaves. And Joseph said, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. You should underline verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. Verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. He lived 110 years. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, and the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and say, God will surely come to your aid, and you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin, and they kept him there in Egypt. Now, I want you to see how long Joseph's view was of both the past and the future. Joseph's brothers came to him, and they said, what we did to you was so bad. We're so sorry. Please don't hold this against us. And he literally chuckled and said, listen, that was so long ago. Don't worry about it. How long had it been? It had been about 90 years, according to the Bible. 90 years since Joseph's brothers had done this to him. Now, some of us, I don't say some of you, some of us have the ability probably to carry a grudge for 90 years if we continue to live in the here and the now instead of letting the past be the past. I mean, Joseph could have been a bitter old man after 90 years of carrying a grudge, or he could have let it go and thought, you know what, at some point, this is going to get fixed. And Joseph had a long view of the future. You say, what do you mean by that? Joseph had no idea how long it was going to be before his family could go back up to Israel. But he said, listen, one day you're going to go. I know at some point in time, this is all going to work out. When it works out, take me back to Israel. How long did it take for it to actually work out? 430 years before Joseph actually got carried out of Israel. But here's what he knew. Listen, in the past, a lot of bad things happened, but ah, they were so long ago, I can't even remember them. Don't worry. In the future, a lot of good things are going to happen, so you know, I'm not going to quit if they don't happen tomorrow, or next week, or next year. I'm just going to trust that one day it's going to get better, and when it gets better, it's going to get better. Joseph never even lived to see that day. But he had a hope in his spirit and a hope in his heart that wasn't holding a grudge that one day God's going to do exactly what God said he was going to do. Now, let me ask you, What would happen to your life if you could see your past and your future like Joseph? Let me ask this specific question. The hurt and the heartache that you're going through right now. The hurt and the heartache that you're experiencing with your family right now. With your coworkers and your boss right now. With your friends right now. Let me ask you a couple questions. Was this same hurt and heartache happening 10 years ago? Or is it pretty new? Was it happening five years ago? Was it happening three years ago? See, in your mind, you have, the, you have the ability in your mind to lay in bed and say, it's always been like this, when the truth is that this, this, this hasn't even been going on for a year or two or three. This is not a lifetime issue for most of us. So let me ask you, what if you could see, well, this is an issue, you know, it's really only the past six months. Well, what if it's over six months from now? You want to waste a year of your life when the future holds great answers and the past didn't hold just problems? See, Joseph had a long view of the past. It's over, you know, and I'm not going to dwell on that. And he had a long view of the future. It'll get better. When? I don't know, but someday it'll get better. And when you look specifically at, uh, at what Joseph asked, you see that Joseph always knew that God was going to come through somehow, some way. In the midst of the most horrible situation, somehow, some way, God was going to come through. Why? Number four, because Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a dreamer. And listen, I, I hope you've learned a little bit from the life of Joseph. I hope if you don't have tact, you'll get tact. You won't act like I did when I was first so passionate yet immature about my faith and what God had called me to do. You know, get tact so that you can have an impact on people in your life that you really want to impact. Um, listen, if you're really struggling by people who have let you down, get your focus off those people and get your focus on God. Um, if, if, you, if you have no hope in the future, develop a longer view of the future Um, develop a longer view of the past. Let the past be the past. Let things go. But if none of those things apply to you, 
then let number four apply. Become a dreamer in the life that you live. I won't have you turn there, but in Joshua 24, 32, we see Joseph's dream came true. Actually, all his dreams came true that he had. But in Joshua 24, 32, this is now about 500 years after Joseph had died. And it said in Joshua 24, 32, Joshua was the general that took the land of Canaan and made it the land of Israel. It said, Joseph's bones, which the Israelites actually brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Now, in case you didn't catch it, where was Joseph buried? I can't hear you. Shechem. He told the Israelites, when you get out of this place, I want you to go and I want you to bury me in Shechem. Now, Joseph never lived in Shechem. According to the Bible, Joseph lived in Hebron. He left Hebron, where he lived, to go search for his brothers. And where did he go to try to find his brothers? Where was he headed to? Shechem. You know what Joseph did? Joseph took the worst event in his life and said, bury me there because that's where my legacy of faith really started. See, had that bad thing not happened, none of this good would have happened. So listen, when I go back, you know, they counted me for dead once in Shechem. I'll stay there dead. You take me back to Shechem and I'll really be dead there because that's where my legacy and life started. You see, his worst moment became his destiny because he was faithful to God and he put more faith in God than his family and his friends and his boss and his co-workers and his situations. And even though as a young kid he lacked the ability to minister to people and lead people as, as an adult, he became a leader of the world because of his faith in God. Joseph always believed that God had something special for him regardless of his circumstances. And you need to understand as you sit here today, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what is happening in your family, regardless of what is happening at work, regardless of what is happening in your relationships, God has something special for you, according to the Bible. You just need to begin to dream that dream for your life spiritually. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus walked into a town and there was a beggar sitting at the side of the road, and Jesus and his disciples were going from point A to point B. This place was not on their stop. And as Jesus was strolling through, the, the blind man sitting on the side of the road, I don't know if the, he heard the dust kick up. I don't know if he, if he heard the sound of people walking by. I don't know if he heard the sound of talking. But surely he asked somebody next to him, what's going on? And somebody said, Jesus is walking by. And he began to scream out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the disciples who were hanging out with Jesus said, man, be quiet. This, this is not your day for Jesus. He said, so he shouted louder, Jesus, Jesus. So Jesus stopped. And Jesus asked him a question that most people today don't even know how to answer. Here was Jesus' question. He looked at the blind man who was screaming at him, and he asked him this question. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? If Jesus walked into the room with the power of God to do anything in your life you needed him to do. And Jesus said, what do you need me to do for you? What would you ask him? What's your dream spiritually? Have you asked him? Have you prayed about it? Do you pray about it often? Have you had this discussion, man, if, I, if God could do anything in my life, this is what I w- would want God to do? You know what the blind man said? Jesus said, what can I do? What, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, I want to see. It's pretty simple. He didn't say, well, my cornea is messed up and I got glaucoma. And I, you know, he just said, look, I can't see like I want to see. 
I don't even know what's wrong with me, but I want to see. It's pretty simple. You see, I think if we could understand that the God of the universe has a special plan for our life, and if we could see that the question is being asked of us, hey, how can I help you? I think we would begin to dream a dream for God. God, I want to be used. I want to be used to reach my family. God, I want to be used to reach my neighborhood. God, I want to be used to reach my friends. God, I want to be a great dad. God, I want to be a great mom. You know, God, I, you know, I, just, I, I, I just, God, I pray that, you know, I'll make a difference for you in my life. What do you want God to do for you? Dream that dream and begin to tell him. Now, for further study this week, because I want you to learn these lessons, I want you to learn about Joseph, lock it away in your heart. My challenge for you this week, read Genesis chapter 37 through 50. I skipped a lot of the story. Read it a couple times to learn the story of Joseph. Uh, Get involved in a small group. Most of the small groups at our church that begin tonight are going to discuss, starting tonight, Joseph, the story of Joseph and how it applies to us. Um, And then for those of you who have kids, they're learning about Joseph. I told you last, ask your kids on the way home, what did you learn about Joseph? They may have learned something that we didn't learn in here, and they'll be able to tell you. Uh, But more than anything, hey, more than studying. Studying is great, but more than studying. What do you need God to do for you today? What do you need God to do for you today? Maybe you're hyper-passionate and you need God to give you some tact because you're turning everyone in the world off. Maybe today your family, your co-workers, your boss, your friends have let you down. You need to place your trust in God because your trust in people has been eliminated. Maybe today you need to have a long view of the past. God, help me to realize it's gone and over with. I can't change it. It's got, and, and a long view of the future. Someday it's going to get better. Maybe today you need to develop a dream for your life spiritually. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the life of Joseph and what it has taught us. Lord, we thank you for this great faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11 and all the people mentioned and all their stories that we're going to learn this summer. As we look at, like 1 Corinthians 10 says, we look at their lives so that we can be better. God, I pray for the men and the women and the teenagers who are sitting here today. Because, Lord, a lot of us are like Joseph. Because we live in a world where people treat people unfairly. So, God, I pray first and foremost for the men and women in this room who have had family let them down. Who have had a boss or co-workers let them down. Who have had a friend betray them. God, I just pray that you would comfort their heart. And allow them to see the reality of life is that... uh, We're all messed up. People sometimes do bad things to other people. But God, you are good. And when we can't trust people, we can trust that you are working, that you will figure it out. God, I pray for the uh, men and women in here who have such a short view of both the past and the history that they live in discouragement because they carried their past into church with them today. They sat it on the chair with them. They don't plan to ever let it go. Help them to let go. Release the past into the past. And help them to embrace the future whenever that may come. Tomorrow, next week, next year, 500 years from now. Help them to embrace the fact that it will get better. It always does when we follow you. And God, I pray for those men and women who are here today who, Lord, maybe they have, uh, maybe they've never dreamed a spiritual dream for their life. Maybe they've never contemplated that question. What do I want God to do for me? And I pray that in our small groups this week and even just among people as they talk on the way home, that people would begin to develop a spiritual dream. They'd begin to talk to God about it. They'd begin to pray about it. They'd write it down and they'd begin to pursue it. 
God, that we might have in this church. Lord, a church of people who make a difference in their generation. Live to serve you, to love you, and to make you known, to follow you. So, God, I pray today that in all ways you will help us to do that. Thank you for the ministry of your word from the life of Joseph. It has really encouraged us and challenged us and taught us today. God, I pray each and every Sunday this summer as we look into your word at these great Bible stories that you'll transition our life to be stronger in our faith. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said amen. Here's what I want you to do. I want